Welcome to the Understanding Project Management Discussions podcast. This is Dave Barrett. My guest today is Christopher Chang. In addition to Christopher's experience in the field of project management, he also provides mentoring and consulting to new startups in the area. In addition, Christopher is an associate faculty member at Conestoga College. Our topic today includes the executing, monitoring, and controlling activities that take place during planning. That is, those activities that ensure that plans are completed effectively. Please welcome Christopher Chang. Hey, Chris, uh, how are you doing? Oh, not too bad, Dave. Good to be here. Good, good. Well, thanks for thanks for coming on. So, our topic today is about the uh, sort of what happens after planning takes place on a project. So we've got this sort of big time period on a project called executing the executing phase or as the development or construction. It has various names in various industries. And and I just want that's the that's sort of the topic that I want to talk about. And and it's almost like, you know, just to sort of set the stage um, is it's sort of like if this was a play that we were organized, if we were, if we were doing a play, the dress rehearsals would be done, you know, the, 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 the script is written and now it's showtime. We're, we're about to perform and, and actually provide the play. So that, that's sort of how I see the, 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 the sort of the executing phase. And so, so I guess my first question is, is, is um, how do you find it different sort of as you're kind of moving away from planning and into executing and, and kind of the production of whatever you're doing is, is what changes? Like what's, is, is, or do, is there a change in, in the project at that point? Um, I guess from my end, yeah, it, it's definitely a demarcation point where you can kind of actually put into practice everything that you've been working on for like the past, you know, X weeks or X months. And I think I think naturally kind of as humans, we, we like or tend towards action. And I think uh, the planning part of it is just kind of held that back. So it's almost like a dam breaking or the start of a play. And I think it's, um, I, I know that I personally kind of look forward to it. And I think it's, um, it's really nice to be able to kind of put into action everything that you've been planning for, looking forward to the risks you've been, you've been trying to monitor everything there and in, in all your preparation, actually being able to now execute is, uh, is really nice. I, I really see, uh, I mean, it's, it's a demarcation point. It's a great spot to be in for sure. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that, you know, and just as you're saying that I, I agree if, you know, a lot of people that work on projects, they're doers, they're, they're, they're people that want to, you know, you get into this line of work because you want to create things. And so during planning, during that first couple of, of phases and in initiating and then in planning, you're, you're kind of being almost held back. You're thinking about it, but it's all, it's all up here. It's all on paper. It's, you're not actually creating to a large extent there is some prototyping and you can create some sort of early versions of it proof of concepts but really the end product comes in at this point i remember um like when i was uh, just out of school my sort of first sort of role and my mentor at that point my manager and and he was my mentor was was basically kind of holding me back. I wanted to create it. I was wanting to go and he kept saying, no, show it to me on the whiteboard. And so I'd kind of, you know, do it. It was a systems development role. So I kind of show him on the whiteboard and he'd have, he'd work on it and then say, okay, go back and think about it a little bit more. And it was like, oh, 
you know, like, okay. So then I go away for a little while and then come back and okay, here it is. And then it was that sort of thing. I was biting at the bit to do it, but, but he taught me a lot about planning, a lot about thinking it through and, and so on. So, uh, but yeah, that, that is kind of cool is, is that you, um, you know, this is the part that you're kind of, you're kind of looking forward to, to do that executing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The way I look at it, we're always going towards this theoretical target, right? We're trying to set that project baseline for, you know, the cost of budget, the timing, the schedule, uh, the scope, the quality stuff. And so, but it always seems like it, and it is by nature, you know, theoretical and just being able to put the rubber to the road, if I can use that phrase, I think is, is something that we all kind of look forward to. It's, it's awesome to kind of see how close or how far away I guess <laughs> you are as far as your baseline and you really only find that out once you start kind of working on it right and, and once the action and the execution phase really starts rolling in yeah. um yeah so I mean and you know every project is going to be different as far as whatever industry it's in whatever product it's producing but again like the monitor controlling thing is to me at least it seems to be fairly similar regardless of what that product or, or industry that you're in there's that common elements of it which is really kind of nice that transferability of kind of what you're doing uh, regardless again of product or industry right those are common skills like the yeah you're right the monitoring and controlling doesn't matter if you're in software or you're in uh, you know product development or or construction or whatever there there's that common process that you go through uh, speaking of which, I mean, you did say, we'll see how we're doing, you know, like it's, it's kind of, you want to see once you, you put, you know, get that rubber to the road, uh, you know, how it's, it's interesting, you're, you're anxious to see, well, how well did I plan and so on? And how is it working out? In my experience, it, you know, it, it's, it's rarely that it works out exactly the way you planned. It usually varies. And it usually varies, maybe not positively. Like yeah. <laughs> we're talking, for example, let, let's talk about schedule. Like one of the one of the key things you look at is you know the time is how are we how are we progressing timeline? And you know at any one point you can be ahead of schedule, on schedule, or behind schedule. Um, you know it varies, but in my experience, it's often lagging a little bit like you're yeah. fighting to keep your schedule so you know is that something would you agree or do you, you how's your experience on that yeah if there was ever i mean you never have enough time <laughs> it just never is and it uh it it just seems like the days go by really really quickly your resources getting up quick even faster um and i guess that's just the nature of the beast yeah i haven't i haven't been part of a project where it hasn't where that stress hasn't kind of come in where at some point you're not questioning like, why did I ever sign up for this due date? <laughs> why did I ever agree to this? What was I thinking? Yeah. Um, but I mean, and I guess that kind of goes and ties into like the controlling part of it. I've always felt like the controlling part as much as, um, you know, as much as we like to monitor, kind of watch and see, and, and like I mentioned before, kind of see how close we were to the baseline and continue to mon and monitor and see how we were progressing against that. The controlling aspect is pretty cool too. I do enjoy that part kind of getting into the action. And while you might not be undertaking each of the individual tasks or actions yourself, having that input and being kind of, um, you know, without being overbearing, kind of exercising that influence on those things and working with people, working and using those softer skills and complementing it with, you know, whatever other elements or tools that you need to, I've always found that that's kind of uh, interesting. It's kind of cool to be able to kind of figure out how do you push this along so that inevitably when you run out of time, you're running into jams and as time approaches or the or certain milestones are coming up, 
I actually find that kind of interesting and exciting. It's um, how do you how do you squeeze more out of what you got? And it's uh, it, I find that that control aspect's the key thing to it. Yeah, no, I, I agree. That's to be a to be I think an effective project manager, you want to have that outlook of enjoy that what you were saying of, of not necessarily getting in and doing everything you're not going to take over for your team but that idea of coming in and helping facilitate or or being that extra voice and maybe a new idea to help break a log jam or something like that 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 is is key and and i remember reading once about uh, walt disney who you know obviously created the walt disney company and he described himself as his role uh, in the early days of, of the Disney companies was that he compared himself to a, to like a honeybee, that his job was to go around from team to team and just sort of, you know, like, like bees will pollinate, uh, you know, uh, flowers and so on. But that was his job to go around and just be that inspiration or, or, or you know, uh, break a tie in decisions or, or whatever it took. But he saw that as his role. So maybe he was, you know, uh, a project manager in disguise. I wouldn't say he probably wouldn't describe himself as that. Just what I've read about. It. But but that's sort of that honeybee. That sort of moving around and monitoring and controlling. That's what I. That's what I see is is you're kind of describing, or at least how I kind of perceive that that sort of that sort of role. Yeah, I think so. I mean, like at least in my experience, and, and it didn't really matter what industry in or or what the product was in particular, but. Yeah, it's, uh, it's always I find like that balance um, to kind of use that analogy, like you said, that you're a honeybee going to different places and putting in your two cents worth or breaking a tie where you need to. Um, I think it, it goes like in, I guess, in sync, in sync with that, you know, being able to kind of create those control points or being the control points and making sure that people are taking that check in point and, and giving you kind of that status update so you can kind of see what's going because sometimes with tasks and with team members, they, they want to tell you, you know, what's happening at A when you start, and they want to tell you at the end at B, but really you're kind of interested to see if they're still on the path along the way. And sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If it's like a, a five day or a 10 day task, you don't want to just see them at the start and then I'll see you in 10 days. Like a lot can happen in that 10 days. Like after nine, oh, yeah. you might be making no progress. And that would be kind of a useful thing to know early. I, I want to just pick up on your point earlier. You said that you, you never seem to have enough time or, or something to that effect. You, why did I sign up for this? And, and that's true. It, it's We seem to always be running out of time, pushing up against the schedule, et cetera, et cetera. And I have a theory about that over the over the years of at least a couple of reasons, maybe more, but I just wanted to test it out on you. One is I think that people are by nature optimistic. Like we you know, but I mean, there are the, and, and when you work with project teams, you'll know that you've got your optimists and your pessimists, you know, they, they, the, the sunny day and the rainy day people, but on average, I think, and especially people in management and project management roles, they, they tend to be lean a little more optimistic. So we think more in best case than worst case, which tends to lower our estimates like, ah, we can do that. And three days and it takes four, you know, and it, it, because of, we're not, we're not estimate, we're not expecting the thing to go wrong because we assume it won't even subconsciously. The other thing is there's often, and not always, but often an organizational pressure from our, our, our project sponsor managers to lower the estimates. Like if you come up with, yeah, it's going to take 
six months to do this, you get the kind of, you really like we need it in four. What do you think? And then, you know, you, you, you are trained almost to not bring the re like the, you know, the extra amount of time you're, you're trained for bare minimum. And then if sure enough, you're, you're struggling. So I just curious as, as if you found that, or if there's, you know, other things. No, I agree with you. I think, you know, everybody wants their project done before Christmas or before the start of summer. It's, it's crazy how the calendar with its arbitrary dates tends to dictate the end of projects at time, you know, your budget, your fiscal year in your budget, uh, when your boss has to submit his budget for his department, you know, all of those can be, can artificially push up deadlines for sure. Uh, I I'd actually add on a third one to yours. And that's sometimes, um, I find timelines get compressed a little bit because, and maybe this is a criticism, I guess, of, of, P, of certain PM mentalities and such. And that sometimes, you know, we don't necessarily ask our team members or, or get their input on how long a task is going to take. And, and I used to kid around with some of the guys in, in the team. I'd be like, you know what, if you don't tell me how much it's going to be, and I don't really understand the task, I'm probably just going to give you like 10 minutes to do it. It should be really simple. Right. right. So, um, which is the wrong way to do it, of course. And it's just a joke, but it is, you know, it's one of those things where we don't necessarily ask the right people the right questions. We don't ask them for their input. You know, it, it shows up somewhere. And inevitably, if we don't ask, ask the people, hey, task A is your responsibility, how long does it really take? Like, let's walk it back and break it into steps. So I understand when you say a week, what is that week composed of? And being able to kind of ask that question without them feeling too picked upon or feeling like they got to kind of like how we get pressured into a final deadline for the project. We're not trying to pressure them into a week. If it's really 10 days, we really want the best thing you can do is just give us the, the truth, the real information, and we can decide what to do with it. But sometimes it's hard to twist their arm to give us that. Yeah, no, I, I, that's funny when you mentioned that because I've done the same thing. Uh, and it is true. I agree. We, we, as we, as project managers shouldn't just, you know, uh, solely come up with est duration estimates and well, we could be involving the team getting their feedback and you know of course you can't always satisfy everyone's opinion but you should be gathering it and sorting through that and and but when you said that you know I'll give you 10 minutes that that tr triggered a memory is that when I've, 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 I've often gone to team members to get you know, what do you think this will take? Because I may not know. It's it's maybe it's a it's a type of work that I that I don't know. I don't do so. I don't know it for sure. So, in some cases, I would have the person say, "I don't know. I can't tell you." And yeah. then you go, "Oh, what do I do?" So then then I do what I called the high low game with them, right? Say, "Okay, so what do you think of ten minutes?" No, no, no. It's more than ten minutes. Then I'd say, "Well." Well, what do you think of two weeks? Oh no, we can do it faster than that. Well, how about five days? They'd say, oh, we need a little more time than that. I'd say, how about seven days? All right, that sounds good. And so <laughs> you basically, by, by giving them bounds, and, and it was just like a fun game. It wasn't trying to pressure them, but I think they were reluctant to just, I don't know why, but just come up with the number themselves. But it was just a way of, and so when you said about the, you know, almost kidding with them. Hey, I'll give you 10 minutes. So tell me what it really is, what your real opinion is. Then, then that's the way, but they, the bottom line is getting, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll make the schedule better in the first place with that, that input. Um, yeah. So my next, next question is speaking of that though, 
given oftentimes we are struggling to get schedules back on track, what do you do in those sort of situations? Like what's your, what, what you know, how, how do you, how do you recover time on a schedule? Like a, Oh, sorry. I couldn't, I couldn't hear you, Dave. You, you just cut out for a second. Can you just repeat the question? Yeah. The, the question was given schedules are usually behind most cases, how do you get your, so what are you, what are, you, what are the tricks that you have in your, your toolbox for getting the, the, the schedule that's a week behind? How do you get it back on track without cutting the scope of the project? Of course, like without doing less, what's, what's your, what's your go-to? Yeah, I mean, sometimes as much as you manage the schedule and as 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 you know as accurate as you try and or account for all the possible variances up front, yeah, inevitably there are times when you kind of fall behind, right? Um, I always find that um, even if you fall behind by like, let's say, um, you know, two or three days, if you understand like what your total timeline is and your total schedule, I always find it's it's easier to nip it in the bud. It's easier to ask guys to say, hey. Can you help me out here? We need to really catch up and get back on schedule. Asking them, you know, if we can extend some of the hours or asking them to change priorities on stuff, asking other guys to pay a handout and try and figure it out within the team and the hours and, and skills that are available. I always find that that's probably the, the first thing that I try and do is I try and, you know, make the team aware that it's a team problem and let's, let's figure out how we can stretch this and get this kind of resolved within our uh, available resources. And so I usually try, I guess the, the thing I try and do is I try and share the responsibility and not feel that it's just, you know, the PM who's got to come up with this, with this, you know, magical solution. I want them to kind of feel a little bit of responsibility that, hey, you know, maybe something, it's because something fell outside of our control or maybe a team member got sick or something happened. But, you know, we're really reliant on ourselves. How do we kind of fix this and can, can we help ourselves get out of this, this jam a little bit? So I think that's probably the first trick that I do is I try and turn it back on the team and try and lead them towards, you know, the end goal, which is, you know, if everybody puts in a couple more hours, we'll make up that day or two days. And then it's not a, hey, we got to make up three weeks. How are we going to do that? Which I think um, teams tend to balk at and they don't, they just, they don't really appreciate that, I think. Yeah. I mean, so a couple of things that, that I heard there that I just want to want to sort of repeat back to you. So one is, mm -hmm. I think you were referring to early detection, you know, so like the sooner you can, you use like sort of nip it in the bud that, yeah, if you can get to it early, you know, it's, it's, it's not as big a problem. And then you can see why, and you can, so, so again, it comes back to how do you, how do you detect it early? Well, you're monitoring, you're paying attention. You have a decent schedule in the first place because you've got something to sort of measure. We should be here by this point after, you know, a week or two. Uh, if we're not, then we should, we should, um, do something. The second thing is um, involving your team. I'm a great believer in, you know, if you, the people closest to the work can often find solutions that you as the project manager don't know about. So if you can, like you say, involve them, they'll see things like when they're close to it, they can say, well, you know, Chris, if we, if we, you know, if I did this and then pass it to this person, or if we did this, we can, we can do it faster. So they'll come up with things that you don't know about. And, and that's mm -hmm. good. If you involve them, you'll get those things. I think the teams naturally, like, I mean, you're going to have different personalities in it, but I mean, I, you know, I ask people sometimes, you know, how do you get 20 years of experience and it's by working 20 years. So <laughs> I might as well take advantage of that if I can. Right. I mean, if you've got a team of five and they've all been there longer than you, 
surely they have the answer, right? And uh, I think team members always love to, it, it sounds kind of funny, but prove their utility, prove that they, you know, are, can do more than just what their station is. And I think um, simple things like just getting them involved in those types of decisions and those types of uh, sessions to get their input, I think it gives them an opportunity to do just that, to show that, you know, that they're, you know, have got different skills and abilities and capabilities and a lot, a lot of knowledge. People love to feel needed and wanted. And it's an easy way. I think providing that form is an easy way for them to step up. Yeah. You're getting kind of a double hit there because you're getting good information, as you mentioned, but you're also, yeah, like there's very few people that would not want this, that wouldn't feel good about this, that, Hey, there he's, he or she is asking my opinion. I'm valued as a, as a team member, my opinion counts, you know, and, and even better if, you know, occasionally or sometimes your idea is used, like it can't be all the time, but even if sometimes it's a motivational thing. So you're getting like a, like a, a two for one deal on that. So it's, that's a really smart thing to do. Yeah, it's not too bad. We used, we used to kid around too, though, in automotive, like uh, we'd release a part to production and be in there. And if you're monitoring it, some of the challenge would be like the guys on the floor after a while, because, uh, you know, regardless of how we run it, but sometimes there'd be feedback boxes and they would give it to us and management would be like, you got to go through each of these. There's some gold in here. And we used to kid around that sometimes you got to dig through a lot of like a lot of stuff in order to get to that one little gold nugget in there. So to, to, to your point, I mean, you still have to vet, you still have to vet through everything, even if, um, and hopefully you have a high performing team to give you awesome information and insight. Other times uh, at the end of the day, you still have to sift through it and make sure that it makes sense before you, you know, implement it, especially if there's change control implications with it as well. Great. So the, the other, the other area of, of monitoring and controlling that I just wanted to touch on a little bit is around uh, scope and quality. Like scope, you know, what you're going to produce is, you know, it's defined and, um, you know, in, in most cases it should be produced unless you, you know, there always is the potential to reduce scope. But it's, so that's sort of the given almost on most, most projects, but it's almost like the quality becomes the differentiator of how well your project produces it. So my question, my question is, is what, what do you, how do you like, this is a big question, but how do you check for quality? What's your approach to checking and so on? Um, well, I guess from my end, uh, when we're talking about quality and, and that sort of aspect, um, I think the overreaching or overarching thing is just making sure that uh, the team's doing things right. At the end of the day, if um, I guess I look at quality control as being something that um, should be applied not only to, um, I, I guess, not only to how the project's kind of undergoing, but it, to how people kind of interact with and, and mesh with the project. Meaning, you know, they need, if they're going to test and evaluate something, they need to make sure they're testing and evaluating in a way that's repeatable, that's reproducible, that's got a good gauge on R on it. There's no point uh, putting together something that's a little bit slack or a little bit easy if at the end of the day, there's potential for you to kind of compromise things. So I would say that, you know, we want to make sure that guys are doing things right, no matter what the task is. And then I think when you delve uh, deeper into the quality aspects of um, like a particular product you're, that you're producing, um, probably a couple things, making sure that, um, that you're testing and evaluating the right things, um, but that you have that set up so that you are testing and evaluating the things that need to be done relative to that baseline. Right. Um, and then you kind of want to make sure that 
um, you're not just controlling, right? But that you're meeting the acceptance criteria behind there. So you're not just meeting the print, but that you're also making sure that what you're able to produce, the customer is ultimately going to accept. Because sometimes, I'll say sometimes when you're working within a team, at least from my end, sometimes they don't differentiate between the two. They look at, um, you know, uh, scope control as the same thing as acceptance. And it's not necessarily, to me, it, it, they seem like divergent things. One is making sure you, may, you meet the prints and the other one's making sure the customer accepts what you're producing ultimately. And right. so I think having them kind of understand that difference is, is uh, to me, kind of part of it as well. Right. I don't yeah. know if that answers the question, though. <laughs> no, it, it, well, there, there's many. Yeah, it's, it's a big topic that we're that we just talked about. Yes, and for sure. I guess just a, a couple of thoughts on that. You first started talking about, you know, that you consider it to also be how you're doing things and making sure the interactions are, are, are correct and so on. And that's that's sort of a sometimes um, teams don't realize that's an important aspect of of quality in general, quality planning, but also in, in the executing phase is that constant attention to process to make sure that, you know, yes, in order to get that output out the door that's working, we have to pay attention to how we're doing the work. So reviewing the sort of the, the, the way that things are flowing through your project you know, make sure, making sure there's those double checks here and that we're signing off there and that, you know, we don't lose requirements or updates and that we're constantly, you know, checking the machinery of our project. You know, it's not real, I don't mean real machinery, but the, yeah. the, the virtual mach machinery to make sure that it's well-oiled and well-maintained, that itself will help, you know, um, you know, that's, um, that that's the one aspect then um the the other is just that uh, you know making sure that you know I, I like the idea of that making sure that you your team understands that it's not just you know that that the the item whatever we're producing meets you know the specifications on whatever the paper you know we said it would do this and it does that we're good there's also that customer involved who their expectations may have evolved a little bit you know they, they, there's, there, there is this, this idea that ultimately quality is in the eye of the, of the customer. So if you just say, well, it's on this piece of paper here, so we're good. You could have an unhappy customer. So, so you know, building that into your project team and, and into their awareness is good. Yeah, and it's you know sometimes we think things are written down in in super plain English and everybody comprehends what. Uh, what it means, but then other times, you know, there are things that are definitely open to interpretation. Like, uh, is the color purple the right shade of, of purple? Is there a PMS number you should be hitting? Or, you know, is there a, a finish over top of the purple that you need? And unfortunately, if you don't necessarily, you know, involve the customer, uh, don't necessarily look at quality control as something you've got to, you know, be and keep aware of throughout the process, you end up answering some hard questions at the very end when you're ready to ship and you say, Hey, you know what, this is purple. That's what it says on the print or that's what it says in specification, but your customer doesn't want it. And then that's a real, then the questions come back to you <laughs> and like, yeah. how did you get in the spot? Right. It comes back to there's sort of a sour feeling and, and result of the project. And, and uh, it, it leads to, you know, sort of the idea, I think, I think what is true is that during this, this whole executing, monitoring, and controlling sort of process that we're talking about, that 
is if there's an expectation, there's always this thing in the back of your mind to say, you know, things could go wrong here. You're like, you know, it just that sort of, you know, uh, a little tiny bit of paranoia that not, not, not full on, but, but a little bit of paranoia just to say, uh, you know, there are different ways to interpret purple, you know, there is violet <laughs> and there is, you know, fuchsia, for example, and there's a big broad range of assumptions there. And even though it says purple on the, on the specs, uh, the customer is going to be mad. So maybe we should check that out. That sort of questioning, checking back, you know, going, uh, just thinking it through there is I think an important part. It's, it's not, it's almost an undocumented part of quality control. Nobody is, I, I, I don't remember ever reading this, but it is, I think, true. Yeah, it's, uh, you never know what the customer, and like you said, ultimately the customer is right. And if they want to pick, you know, if they want to split hairs on something, they it's, it's well within their discretion to split those hairs. And, you know, I, I think it comes down, it comes down to that, that related custom, uh, that related cousin risk, right? I mean, there's always those types of aspects and, and maybe that falls under that category. And, you know, that's sometimes an underappreciated thing of what you're, you're trying to do within monitoring controlling. And that's kind of assessing yeah. how important you're managing those risks, identifying new ones and, and making sure that you at least have some sort of plan or trigger so that you understand when you need to kind of uh, look to enact that plan. But yeah. so no, maybe those two types of things are related somehow. It's it certainly, I mean, the, the, the where we are right now in the executing and monitoring and controlling it it it's a it's attracts everything <laughs> in terms of all of the different you know uh, quality scope schedule risk you know even communicate we haven't even talked about communications but we're all right we're running out of time on that but on that note i just wanted to say uh chris thanks very much it's been an excellent conversation and really enjoyed your insights into into this this process and uh you know, uh, uh, thank you for your time on this. Oh, no problem. Thanks a lot, Dave. Appreciate it. It's uh, it's always, maybe it sounds geeky, but I always like talking about this stuff. So I appreciate the opportunity for sure. Sounds good. Okay. We'll, we'll talk to you again soon.